Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Joan Esposito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT 820. Hello. Thank you for joining me this Monday, October 21st. Firth? Firth. That's kind of like the first and the fourth put together. It is indeed the 24th. Fifteen days. Fifteen days, folks, till Election Day. Fifteen days. Now, don't let anybody tell you. I'm seeing all these. You know, the New York Times, they have become um, Republican light. So, you know, they're doing all these, oh, you know, Republicans surging, blah, 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 blah. You know, Democrats frightened. Okay, we still have work to do in Wisconsin. But here's what the most recent CNN poll that was put out says. Um, In the Pennsylvania governor's race, they show the Democrats with at least a 15-point lead. In the Pennsylvania Senate race, They show Democrats with a six-point lead. That would be, of course, Fetterman, by the way, who will be debating uh, Oz tomorrow night. In the Michigan Michigan governor's race, Governor Gretchen Whitmer, the Democrat, six points ahead. In the Wisconsin governor's race, Democrat Tony Evers, two points ahead. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but in Wisconsin terms... That's a lot. Remember, Wisconsin is a state that, for whatever reason, is almost split 50-50. People win in Wisconsin by the slimmest of margins. If you were ever one of those people who thought for a brief moment, oh, I don't know if I'm going to vote today. My vote is just one little vote. Does it really make a difference? Yeah, You know what? If you live in Wisconsin... The answer is yes, yes, a thousand times yes. Your vote matters. So Tony Evers up by two percentage points. Woohoo! That's something to celebrate. The Senate race, where we've got wackadoodle Ron Johnson and up and comer, although hampered by the fact that he's black, Mandela Barnes. It has closed. Um, Remember a couple of weeks ago, Mike Crute was telling us about a poll that showed Ron Johnson ahead by, I believe it was six points. Well, Ron Johnson is ahead now by one point. Again, Wisconsin elections tend to be really, really close. But Mandela Barnes being down in that race is not good. Is not good. Ron Johnson aside from the fact that he's trying to downplay all the crazy things he's done, you know, oh, it wasn't him. He never did that fake electors thing. That that was his chief of staff. That wasn't him. Oh, and um, at, like most Republicans, oh, a woman's right to choose. Yeah, well, you know, blah, 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 blah. No, actually, Ron, you've come out pretty emphatically against um, any kind of exceptions to your abortion bans. So Ron Johnson is trying to appear more moderate than he is. Um, He is also in many of his ads dog whistling to racists. 
um, Mandela Barnes, he's not like us. Mandela Barnes, he's different. What do we suppose he means by that? It is closing, but Mandela Barnes still slightly trailing in the Wisconsin Senate race. Now, again, we're 15 days out. This can shift. But today, when you read all these articles about how um, Republicans are surging because of inflation, don't don't buy it. Don't buy the headline without doing a little bit of investigating because the poll results don't bear that out. Also, in um, Shia Kapos got a hold of some of the early demographics, for example, who is voting here in the state of Illinois. The State Board of Elections doesn't give the demographics of an election out to people like me or Shia generally till after the election. But if you're a registered political committee, you can access the data in real time. And somebody who had that kind of authority shared the information with Shia, and it's in today's Illinois playbook. More Illinois women than men are voting as of this moment in time. Why do you suppose that is? Everybody's saying, oh, yes, you know, the fall of Roe v. Wade. Well, that was a big issue months ago, but everybody's moved past it now. I don't think, I don't think women have moved past it. I don't think so. The data shows more women than men have requested and returned mail-in ballots or voted at early polling sites. 54% to 45% of men. Um, And there are still more women than men who have outstanding mail-in ballots, 58 to 42%. Women tend to be voters, if you're looking at just the general demographic, women versus men, more women tend to vote than men normally. But we are seeing increased female voter registration and increased female voting in a lot of places. Gosh, I wonder what's motivating them. I don't know. Can you figure it out? The thought that women, particularly middle-aged and older women, who may not be affected by Roe v. Wade, but gosh darn it, don't they have daughters. Don't they have daughters. To think that something that has taken away rights that our daughters grew up not having to fight for and always taking for granted... You think we're just, oh, yeah, that's just going to be a bump in the road? I don't think so. I don't think so. And um, I mentioned last week that Axios Chicago, that Monica Eng had put together an article that had links to a lot of the organizations that rate judges. There's a whole ton of judges that are up for retention. And uh, from the sites that I saw, at least three of those judges The recommendation is that they not be retained. Their peers, the lawyers who are in their courtroom, other bar association members, 
have said, no, they should not be up there on that bench. Um, This week, as a matter of fact, today, in today's Axios Chicago, there is a general voter guide. Not just for the judges, but for voting in general on all the major races. Um, The Axios Chicago also has a link where you can find physical voting locations. They have the dates you need to know. You can request, as long as you're a registered voter, you can request a mail-in ballot up until November 3rd. If you're not registered to vote, you can vote, register to vote online. You don't have to go anywhere. Do it online up until October 23rd. Wait a minute. Today's October 24th. Okay. They must have just cut and pasted this. So online voter registration is over. Ended October 23rd. So you can still register in person and you can vote in person. That runs through November 7th. All ballots, whether it is early voting or mail-in ballot, are due by 7 p.m. November 8th. Of course, you can go on Election Day, November 8th, if you really love being in crowds. Show up November 8th. Whatever you do, do it. And there's also a guide to things that you're going to find on your ballot. Not only the candidates, but also some of the other issues that are going to be on your ballot. Axios Chicago, doing a great job. Doing a great job with this. Very, very proud of them. Uh, This morning, I got all excited um, because there was an announcement that Merrick Garland was going to make a big announcement about some some big nation state actor was going to be charged. And I was, you know, of course, thinking, well, is this the day? Is this the day? Wiser heads have told me that there's no way Merrick Garland brings an indictment against Donald Trump before the midterm elections, that he's just, that's not, that's not who he is. That's not how he operates. Um, Indeed, he's coming out. There's some Chinese spies. I'm going to share some sound with you about that after the break. But he did get asked a couple of questions about other things that you might find interesting. One last quick note before we go to break. I said um, that tomorrow night the Pennsylvania senator race is going to have a debate. Dr. Oz Fetterman squaring off uh, tonight. There is a governor's debate in Florida. But honestly, you know darn well you're going to be watching the Chicago Bears. Uh, this is their last prime time appearance of the season. So that is also tonight. By the way, I don't generally talk about sports, but uh, have you seen the uh, audio? Have you seen the audio? It's on TikTok. Some people are replaying it on Twitter. Ted Cruz went to a ball game at Yankee Stadium. And, uh, you know, New Yorkers are pretty... They're pretty uh, bold. They're pretty upfront about how they feel. 
They welcomed him with a large number of middle finger salutes and uh, some choice words, a lot of F-bombs. And you know what? He stands there and he looks at the crowd and he smiles like nothing is wrong. We're going to take a break. Be back with more right after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. Well, the Twitterverse is all a flutter reporting the death of actor and comedian Leslie Jordan. That name, you say, doesn't ring a bell. Well, you remember him from Will and Grace? Um, he was on most recently Call Me Cat on CBS. You know, during the pandemic, I follow him on Instagram. During the pandemic, he started posting these silly videos and songs. He has almost 6 million followers on Instagram. Um, I actually read, he uh, wrote a biography. I mean, just last New Year's Eve, he rang in New Year's Eve with Anderson Cooper and Andy Cohen on CNN. Um, It uh, looks like what they're reporting so far is that he had some kind of medical incident as he was driving and he crashed his car into the side of a building. 67 years old. Good God. Unbelievable. Just one of the kindest human beings. One of the sweetest human beings. Uh, Leslie Jordan. Dead at the age of 67. Nobody gets out of this alive, do they? Okay, a couple of notes about monkeypox. You know, I've, I've talked to you about it and who should get vaccinated for monkeypox. We are um, now seeing some deaths. Uh, there were two deaths in New York City, one in Nevada, one in Maryland, and two people have died in Chicago. Dr. Allison Arwadi said, though, the number of new cases of MPV has declined substantially since summer. This is a stark reminder that MPV is dangerous and can cause serious illness and in very rare cases, even death. Now, at least in Chicago, the people who were who died had a lot of other issues. It looks like that's the case in uh, New York and Maryland as well, that these people were immunocompromised. Um, this can happen if you are taking drugs because you have a transplanted organ, if you are actively involved in chemotherapy. You know, the kind of immunocompromised com- systems that we're talking about are pretty serious. So um, these people also not only were immunocompromised, they also had a very severe cases of monkeypox. As I mentioned, monkeypox produces this rash, these sort of blisters on the skin, which is painful and annoying. But in some people, those rash, that rash, those blisters 
can erupt inside your body, say inside your esophagus. And those are the, those are the cases where it can be very dangerous, especially, you know, if uh, those areas swell and it becomes difficult to breathe. So far, it looks like the people who have died had a lot of other issues in their, in their bodies, in their health, but still something to take very seriously. As I said, um, Merrick Garland and FBI Director Christopher Wray had a joint press conference where they, you know, brought charges against a couple of Chinese spies. That was the big news of the day. And apparently there was some kind of secret agent that provided them with a lot of this information. Real quick, I'm going to share with you a couple of things. First of all, I'm going to share with you Merrick Garland talking about um, the charges and um, what they were worried about. But then afterwards, Garland was asked a couple of unrelated questions. So first, let's hear him talking about the charges uh, brought today. Earlier today, in the Eastern District of New York, a complaint was unsealed charging two PRC intelligence officers with attempting to obstruct, influence, and impede a criminal prosecution of a PRC-based telecommunications company. The complaint alleges that in 2019, the defendants directed an employee at a U.S. government law enforcement agency to steal confidential information about the United States criminal prosecution of the company. The defendants believed that they had recruited the U.S. employee as an asset, but in fact, the individual they recruited was actually a double agent working on behalf of the FBI. As the complaint alleges, the defendants paid a bribe to the double agent to obtain non-public information, including files from the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Eastern District. They did so in the hope of obtaining the prosecution strategy memo, confidential information regarding witnesses, trial evidence, and potential new charges to be brought against the company. The double agent provided the defendants with documents that appeared to present some of the information they sought. In fact, the documents were prepared by the U.S. government for the purpose of this investigation and did not reveal actual meetings, communications, or strategies. So we caught a couple of Chinese spies. We baited them with a double agent. Okay, Um, that's all well and good. And, you know, good for you. Good to see that you're keeping us safe. Merrick Garland was also asked about the search warrant at Mar-a-Lago. And he was specifically asked, this is real quick, but I want to share it with you. He was specifically asked if he could guarantee that there would be transparency in the case that prompted the search warrant. Listen to this. This is an ongoing investigation, so I'm really not able to comment. We speak through our filings and through the cases we bring. That's the only way we speak. So, Merrick, I guess you're not speaking about this one, huh? Um, Coming up, our November 8th election, Merrick Garland was also asked if the Justice Department is going to get involved to prevent voter intimidation. Have you seen the photos on social media? Um, There was one voting site, I think, I think it was in Atlanta, 
there was a car with a couple of apparent militia members, the guys dressed in camo with carrying guns, just parked. They were parked, I think, near a drop box. Just, you know, checking. Just, no, we're not here to intimidate you. Yeah, we're scary white guys in camo with big guns. But you just go up to that drop box and you put your ballot in there. Merrick Garland was asked if the Justice Department is going to get involved to prevent voter intimidation. This is what he said. The Justice Department has an obligation to prevent, uh, to guarantee a free uh, and fair uh, vote by everyone who is qualified to vote uh, and will not permit uh, voters to be intimidated. Well, Merrick, I've got a few locations where you might want to get some DOJ personnel out there. Uh, because voter intimidation is indeed already happening. Somebody somebody tell Merrick. I don't think he knows. Because clearly he would jump on it and do something. Didn't you just hear him? Because that's the way he is. You know, he's just such an aggressive. Oh, just I'm not even going to go there. One last thing before we go to break. Um, I don't want you to get upset. I know the news is out today that Clarence Thomas blocked um, the order that Lindsey Graham had to testify in Georgia about the voting shenanigans there. It's a temporary block. It's a temporary hold on the subpoena for him to appear in Georgia. The full court is going to hear it. Now, you might say, well, the rest of them are rubber stamps, too, and it may turn out to be that way. But remember, when it, Trump went to them and said, don't let, don't let the National Archives release any of my stuff. Everybody but Clarence Thomas said, sorry, Mr. Trump, that's not how it works. So they're capable of um, voting in a different direction than Clarence. Let's just hope this turns out to be one of those instances. We are going to take a break. When, when we come back, we are going to be talking about Supreme Court races, not just in Illinois, but across the country with an expert on those races. We'll be back after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. I am very pleased to welcome to our little program Matt Cohen, who is an investigative reporter at the American Independent And one of the things that Matt has been focusing on are state Supreme Court races. He joins us now uh, to talk about those. Matt, welcome to the show. Hi, Joan. Thanks for having me. So uh, state Supreme Court court races, I have been banging the drum for the two Supreme Court races in the state of Illinois. Uh, For those of you who are listening, you want to vote for Mary Kay O'Brien or Elizabeth Rochford, okay? Um, but what other states have you been looking at? Yeah, so uh, Illinois is obviously a big one. Um, there, there are a handful of states where uh, the elections will change the um, partisan makeup of the court. And uh, two of the ones that I've really done a lot of reporting on uh, lately are Ohio and North Carolina. Um, those are two states that um, they have a slim uh, uh North Carolina has a slim Democratic majority, and um, Ohio uh, has two open, three open seats where um, those elections really will determine the future of the state. 
Yes, I've um, last week I was talking a little bit about the Supreme Court election in Ohio and Ohio. While I, I think that every Supreme Court seat in any state is wildly important in Ohio, there has been pandemonium with court rulings and parties ignoring them and court rulings following those court rulings. It's had a lot to do with the gerrymandering. Explain, if you will, what's going on in Ohio and why those court races are so important. Yeah, well, it it all kind of centers on um, uh, one family, really, um, the DeWine family. Mike DeWine is uh, Ohio's Ohio's governor, um, and it happens that his son, Pat DeWine, is a justice on the Supreme Court there. Um, and, uh, you know, the Republicans in Ohio have been really trying to fighting tooth and nail to, um, draw new district maps that will, uh, favor their party and, and sort of lock their power in for years to come. And despite having a Republican majority, they've had a chief justice who is, um, repeatedly sided with the de- Democrats on redistricting, uh, and she is retiring. And so, you have a new open seat for the chief justice, and then you also have um, two associate justices who are both Republicans um, running for re-election, and one of them is Mike DeWine's son, Pat DeWine. And, you know, one of the biggest controversies is that um, Pat DeWine has sort of refused to recuse himself on redistricting court cases that um, his father is a party to. And a lot of ethics experts that I've spoken to uh, really is a big issue. And, you know, one of the pieces that back at his judicial record and, um, you know, the different cases that he has recused himself on, and he's recused himself on cases that are, um, he has far less a conflict, conflict of interest than, uh, you know, a, a major court case involving his father. So that's why there's been so many court cases around this and so much back and forth. Uh, and basically, you know, the, the, what happens with those three elections um, can sort of uh, determine the future of voting rights in Ohio. We have seen at the federal level that there is apparently no power on this earth that can force Clarence Thomas to recuse himself, even when we come to find out that he's ruling on cases that might tangentially or maybe not so tangentially involve his wife. Is there anything that can be done in Ohio? I mean, the, the Supreme Court at the federal level has no code of ethics that they operate by, which is just, to me, jaw-dropping. But in a lot of states, that's not the case. Isn't there somebody who can say to him, pressure him, force him to not agree to rule on a case that involves his father? Well, uh, that's where it gets tricky. Um, you know, the uh, the part the the court itself has kind of gone back and forth on how to handle that, and ultimately, um, you know, there's some talk about having all the justices vote to see whether he should recuse himself or not. But they ultimately landed on uh, having him decide for himself, which uh, that's cowardly. Imagine. Yeah, uh, and so. You know, the the parties in these lawsuits on redistricting can um, escalate this to the U.S. Supreme Court. But as you mentioned, uh, you know, when 
you have uh, uh, Justice Clarence Thomas uh, and his wife, Ginny, uh, getting involved in stuff and him refusing to recuse himself. Um, then it becomes a question of, uh, is, is it worth the effort to escalate this to Supreme Court? It's going gonna, it's gonna to take a long time. It's going to drag on. Um, given the makeup of the U.S. Supreme Court, it you know might not fall in uh, it, it, into the favor of um, those who are escalating it. So it's a complicated issue, uh, and you know you would think that there should be something in place that can um, some sort of rule or, or law that would uh, easily you know determine this. But um, unfortunately, there is. Yeah. Um. What's your sense? Of the people of Ohio, whether it's all the people or the people who say they're going to vote. I mean, does this not bother anybody? Does this not bother anybody the way it bothers me? Well, I I definitely think it does. And I think that um, there is a I I think this election uh, might reflect that because um, there's a change uh, to the way Ohio judicial court elections are conducted um, that passed, I believe it was earlier this summer or last year. So uh, before this election cycle, whenever there are judicial elections in Ohio, uh, because judicial elections are not supposed to be a partisan uh, election, it's supposed to be you elect the candidate who's going to uphold the law to the best of their ability. And because of that, um, judicial candidates didn't have a party affiliation next to their name on the ballot. Uh, and so this cycle, there will be. Uh, so you're going to see all of those candidates that are running for the state Supreme Court have a D or an R next to their name for the first time. And I know that there's some Ohio political experts who really think that can have an impact because, as you said, uh, I'm, there are a lot of Ohioans who are quite outraged over this conflict of interest um, or just the Republican Party in general. And, you know, whereas voters might have seen these candidates on their ballot and not really know anything about them. Um, you know, there's now a little bit more info that could uh, uh, help sway a voter one way or another. We've been doing that with our judges in Illinois for a while, having them sign up, even though, again, they're supposed to be nonpartisan. Uh, they pretty much mm-hmm. have to be part of a party and get the backing of the party to be slated, to be appointed, to be elected. And um, I've been talking to some of those and we all agree it's kind of a weird system, you know, because it's you're being vetted. You're being considered for a job in which quite possibly the single most important quality you can have is some sort of neutrality, some sort of fairness to either side. And yet... And yet you have to say, well, I'm running as a Democrat or I'm running as a Republican with all of the baggage that carries. It is a weird system, Matt. How did we get it's here? Very weird. You know, it, uh, it's funny that you brought that up because I, I profiled um, Marilyn Zayas, who is a appellate judge in Ohio and running uh, for the state Supreme Court against Pat DeWine. And, you know, when I talked to her, she said the exact same thing. She said, she told me that, you know, uh, she's running on her record of, of the law, not um, for some, you know, to, to represent some party. She happens to be uh, having to, to register as a Democrat to run. But 
she was telling me that, you know, before this election cycle, she didn't know what a political action committee was. She didn't know any of these things that, you know, typical political candidates um, have to be savvy in in order to run. And, you know, in our conversation, she said that she was running on a message uh, that she has a deep background in law and as a, as a judge in Ohio and hoping that voters will be able to uh, look past politics and uh, partisan agenda to, to look at her record. I think that's like a message that, you know, uh, a lot of candidates really, especially on the left, really need to kind of focus on. And, you know, it, it, it's hard to see how this got to this point, but, you know, here we are. And um, uh, that, that's kind of the, the world that we live in now with these judicial elections. Well, it's a very weird world that we live in now. Um, Matt, we need to take, yeah, we need to take a real quick break. I'm talking to Matt Cohen, who's an investigative reporter at the American Independent. When we come back, we're going to talk about a race that I have not spent a lot of time talking about here, uh, the Supreme Court race in North Carolina. We'll be back with more right after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. I'm joined by Matt Cohen, who's the investigative reporter at the American Independent. We're talking about Supreme Court races. Touched on Illinois, talked about Ohio, but there's a really interesting Supreme Court race going on in North Carolina. Matt, talk to us about that. Yeah, I, I, interesting is an understatement. Um, it's actually kind of a similar situation to Ohio. Uh, so um, one of the uh, uh, judges on the Ohio uh, State Supreme Court, or sorry, the North Carolina State Supreme Court, uh, is a judge named Fulberger Jr. And his father uh, is the um, head of the uh, Republican Party in the state Senate, uh, Phil Berger. Um, Phil Berger Jr. is not up for reelection. Uh, but uh, there are two open seats up, and the state Supreme Court in that state currently has a 4-3 Democratic majority. So the Republican Party uh, has seen this as their opportunity to seize control of the uh, uh, state Supreme Court. Um, and they've sort of done that by uh, uh, sending a lot of money and resources to um, one of the candidates, Trey Allen, who is running to unseat uh, an incumbent Democratic judge, Sam Irvin IV. And it's been a really interesting race because Trey Allen essentially has very, very little, uh, I mean, he has no judicial experience at all and um, very little legal experience. Uh, but as I've, my recording shown, Lots of uh, money coming from the state Republican Party and dark money from national conservative groups are really propping up his campaign um, because the the party has identified that race as their best chance to really flip the seat and the uh, political makeup of the state Supreme Court. And to be clear, uh, folks, when we talk about dark money, what we're talking about, not just money that, you know, is coming in from somebody that we we don't think very highly of. But that's money that's that's difficult, if not impossible to trace. You don't know where it's coming from. And it um, 
It depends on how certain political action campaigns are set up. There are other organizations. Sometimes the money is passed from organization to organization to organization, and by the time it gets where it's going, you can't. It's really difficult to find out where it started. I would, I would think that you know. I mean, we've all talked about dark money going into really big, important races. Talk to me about dark money going into races at the Supreme Court, state Supreme Court, and and other uh, state races, Matt. Yeah, well, the first thing to know is that this is a relatively new phenomenon. Um, it, uh, I believe that the Brennan Center uh, for Justice, uh, the past few election cycles, they've tracked dark money in judicial elections. And, you know, if you look back, uh, probably the last two or three election cycles is the first time where you really start to see millions of dollars of dark money going to these um, state judicial races, the Supreme Court. And it was the 2020 election that sort of set, set the record for um, dark money in uh, state Supreme Court races. Um, and, you know, a lot of that is because of uh, what has happened with our federal Supreme Court, um, you know, with the recent appointments, uh, Trump's recent appointments, you know, you have this conservative majority on the court that has made it clear they are rolling back civil rights, voting rights, reproductive rights. And because of that, uh, you know, the power for states to enforce or not enforce that is it lies in the state Supreme Court, essentially. So the special interest groups uh, don't want to leave it to chance and want to spend as much money as they can to uh, help elect judges that line up with their um, ideological beliefs. And so I believe it was the 2020 cycle, something like 20 million or so. Uh, $20 million in dark money flows to state uh, wow. judicial races. And, you know, a lot of dark money is a little bit hard to trace uh, right now because this is the time when um, all that money kind of starts flowing in. A lot of these groups kind of hold and then wait for the last month before the election. So we won't really be able to see um, how much money uh, went into this election until after it. Uh, happens. But, um, you know, a lot of my reporting has tracked some of this early dark money movement. And there is um, millions of dollars, I mean, especially in in uh, North Carolina and Ohio. Um, and, you know, just some of the sources and, and experts that I talk to think that, you know, it's uh, the projections are correct. This election cycle could could easily top 2020s, 20 some million dollars. You know, one of the things that amazes me, and I don't know if this has anything to do with how partisan we've be- become, so many races that were never big spending races are now seeing millions and millions of dollars spent. You know, we've got a down, a couple of downstate races for state legislators that where millions are being spent. Is this a trend you see elsewhere? Oh, absolutely. Um, you just just look at uh, uh, school board races in the past couple years. Um, a lot of my uh, reporting from earlier this year uh, tracked dark money and in, in, in school board races and like in Wisconsin and uh, a lot of these uh, kind of battle battleground states um, where uh, I mean, this is this is sort of astroturfing 101 um, where astroturfing meaning where uh, a national group will kind of 
seed money uh, into these down ballot grassroots races to make it seem like it's this uh, grassroots effort to promote a certain ideology. Um, and that happened the past couple of years with school board races in Virginia, Wisconsin, um, with the fervor over critical race theory and um, LGBTQ rights taught in the schools. Um, and so this has been happening on the hyper-local level for the last few years now. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it is never not wild to see it happen. Um, I talked to uh, one source in North Carolina um, who uh, has been tracking the election there between uh, Trey Allen and the Democratic incumbent Sam Irvin, who's served on the state Supreme Court for a few years now. Um, and he's told me that, you know, Sam has never had to fundraise before because that hasn't ever really been uh, something that judicial candidates have had to do. Uh, and so for the first time, he's sort of fundraising to, to keep up with the dark money that's flowing to, to support his uh, challenger. Oh, so many questions I want to ask you. Uh, let's just big picture it since we only have uh, a few minutes left. Sure. Come um, November 8th, are, what are some of the top races that you are really interested in following? Well, obviously in Illinois, um, uh, you know, you have um, Mark Curran, uh, who is a Lake County sheriff um, running uh, for the state Supreme Court against Elizabeth Richford, who's a current uh, circuit county court. Curran, who has never um, been a judge, never been a yeah, judge, that, that, never that, been a that, judge. That's what's interesting to me. And well, same with Trey Allen, North Carolina. Um, you know, I'm really interested to see how these candidates who have not served, you know, uh, as a judge in any court in any capacity, um, if their message is sort of coming across to potential voters. Um, uh, obviously, Ohio, um, you know. Pat DeWine is a very controversial figure there, and uh, his challenger, Mar- Marilyn Zayas, has a lot of grassroots support um, from her time uh, serving as an appellate judge. Um, these are just like a, a few of the races that I'm looking at. You know, there are um, some of the key states where there are other races, Louisiana, Kentucky, Michigan, Texas. Um, so all those states are kind of ones that I have my eye on, but yeah, Illinois, Ohio, and North Carolina are definitely the three uh, ones that I'm particularly interested in. Un- unbelievable. Um, North Carolina, I know that, you know, Illinois, we consider ourselves a blue state, which doesn't mean that we can't see an upset. Ohio, I don't even know what color Ohio is anymore, Matt. Um, I think it was blue. I grew up there and I think it was blue. I got the sense that it was blue when I was growing up and then it went really red. Now I think it's polka dotted. Um, and how would you describe North Carolina? That's another one I have a trouble grasping. Kind of the South, kind of not. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that's, that's a lot of these states that, uh, you know, people had assumed for a while were probably red or blue. They're, they're more purple now. And, North Carolina certainly um, has has sent its fair share of Republicans to Congress, uh, but it, it, it is a pretty purple state. Um, you know, it, it 
goes back and forth. Like I said, they have a Democratic majority on the state Supreme Court. So that kind of shows, um, you know, where their head's been at for a while. Um, but obviously there's Republicans in power um, in the state house. So it is it, it really uh, it's a real delicate balance in that state. So, you know, what happens in the state Supreme Court race can uh, determine whether the Republican Party can redraw district maps and uh, you know, solidify uh, that state being a red state in the future. So a lot at stake. Absolutely a lot at stake. Nancy Pelosi was uh, interviewed on CBS Face the Nation, and uh, she said most emphatically that she definitely believes that the Democrats can hang on to the Congress. Now, I know the Republicans only have to pick up five seats, and the last article I read said there are three districts that are so gerrymandered that it would take like an act of God for a Democrat to win. So it looks like, I mean, who knows if they'll lose any seats. They need a net five plus. And it looks like going in, they're guaranteed at least three seats that are going to go their way. Do you think um, Nancy Pelosi is, um, is, is potentially right? that the Democrats have a shot at holding on to the House? Well, uh, there's one thing I've learned in my years of, of political reporting is that uh, we're, what, two, two weeks or so out from the election? Fifteen glorious days. Yeah, uh, a lot can happen. Um, you know, the the the, out, the forecast this week was not looking so, so great. Uh, a couple weeks ago, it was a completely different narrative. So... Um, I would say, you know, don't uh, take too much stock in, in, in what people are predicting right now, um, as it is with politics and elections. Tides turn very, very quickly um, uh, for the smallest of reasons. So, you know, who knows? Um, I'm, I, I, I've learned my lesson from years past in trying to predict these things. <laughs> So ignore any predictions except those made by Matt or made by me. That's the rule (laughs) going forward. Um, Matt, thank you so much. Uh, These are really important races, and thank you for talking with us about them. I really appreciate your being here. Joan, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. We are going to take a break uh, and come back with Terry Cosgrove from Personal Pack right after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Joan Esposito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT 820. We have an election coming up. Uh, Did I mention that? That it's uh, 15 days from now? If I didn't mention that, I apologize. I want you to know we have an election coming up. It is Tuesday, November 8th. I hope you've already returned your mail-in ballot or maybe you've gone to an early voting site and gotten it out of the way. We are voting for our democracy. We are voting for our daughters. I'm pleased to be joined once again by Terry Cosgrove, who's with Personal PAC Illinois. Um, And they are really keeping an eye on the efforts to upend our reproductive rights. Uh, Terry, thank you so much for being here. So good to be here, Joan. Uh, Ready to rock and roll now on this election. (laughs) 
Yeah, 15 days and counting. As uh, time grows short, what are you going to be spending those 15 days doing? Well, what I'm going to be doing is uh, getting the word out to as many voters as possible, uh, both personally and through Personal PAC in the third and second um, Supreme Court districts. Um, in the second district, uh, Liz Rochford is running against uh, right-wing MAGA Trump-loving uh, Mark Curran, um, who um, who um, has repeated that um, he believes that it was a good thing that the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, and now he's trying to tell people that he has no position on abortion, even though he posted on Facebook that um, this, I never thought this day would come. This is why we voted for Trump, end quote. That's what he said when Roe was overturned. And he has associations with the most extreme uh, anti-choice uh, organizations, donors, and and elected officials in the state. And the same goes for uh, for Michael Burke in the third district, where he is also endorsed by the most extreme um, anti-choice organizations, donors, and individuals, and actually sits on the board um, of a right-wing legal organization, the Thomas More Society of Catholic Lawyers, who has filed lawsuits to undo all of our reproductive rights um, gains of the last several years, and now is claiming that he doesn't have a position on abortion. So, so not unlike Amy Coney Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh, they are lying through their teeth when they say they don't have a position on abortion. I mean, um, Burke was on a uh, radio TV show and told the uh, that uh, told the interviewer that he's an originalist like those who overturned Roe. But then on the other side of his mouth is telling people that he has no opinion. So what can people do? This is what I'm doing. I hope everyone listening here goes to a new website, which is wrong for Illinois, www wrongforillinois.com and on that website you will get all the information that you need to know about both um, Michael uh, Burke and Mark Kern in terms of their not only their record on choice but their record on uh, on the insurrection and their and their record on having right-wing um, insurrectionists supporting their campaign. So I hope that everyone listening here is either writing this down or is typing right now, www.wrongforillinois.com, and you will send that out to absolutely everyone you know um, and make sure that they know what's at stake with the Illinois Supreme Court. And the counties that are in District 2 are Lake, Kane, Kendall, McHenry, and DeKalb. And in the 3rd District, it's DuPage, Will, Kankakee, Grundy, LaSalle, and Bureau County. So we have 15 days, Joan, to get the word out to every single moderate to progressive voter in the state that these two right-wing men are on the verge of taking over our court and undoing our environmental laws, our pro-choice laws, our LGBT laws, our our workers' rights laws. This is a five-alarm emergency. A couple of things. First of all, before we move forward, and I forget this, wrongforillinois.com. Um, those are all words. They're all spelled out. And four is yes. F-O-R, not the numeral four. Yes, exactly. It's for a very good question. Wrong, R-O-N-G, F-O-R, Illinois, all 
law, one word. Thank you very much for clarifying that. And the other thing, we've seen this not just with Burke and Curran, but so many Republicans that espouse their true feelings when they're talking privately or posting on social media or maybe even running right. in a primary, and suddenly they get into a general election, and that's not me. I'm a moderate. You know, it's that whole, just like from Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett, that's settled law. That's, you probably right. didn't realize, Terry, that's settled law. Well, we wouldn't, right. we wouldn't revisit that. That's settled yeah. law. And right. I, there right. has to be, they have to believe the people, the Republican candidates who are doing this sort of revisionist history, what do they think? That people aren't going to pay attention, that they're just looking at the headlines, that they're going to forget? How how do you take a position, yes, the sky is blue, oh, I'm in the general election? Well, you know, it's not really blue. It's actually it's actually a little bit, the pink, the sky is pink. Yes, I'm sorry. Um, I've always believed the sky is pink. H- how are people believing this? Yeah, well, they can't. They just have to understand. They have to, and that's why we're getting their record out. Because when you look at the at the record, the things they've done, the events they've um, they're they're both recommended, endorsed by Illinois Right to Life. Come on, I mean, what more information do you need than that? And they both have attended numerous of their of Illinois Right to Life action, which is their PAC. Um, galas and fundraisers and meetings. So it really, I mean, it's just, the, listen to what they do and not what they say. Mm-hmm. What they're doing tells you more than than the uh, than that, the, the misstatements that come out of their mouth and the lies, basically. I'm just going to call it what it is. They are lying to the voters in the same way that Amy Coney Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh, and now, just in the last hour, I didn't have a chance to read it, but apparently... Um, part of Ted Kennedy's diaries were released where Sam Alito, who authored the overturning of Roe v. Wade, told um, Senator Kennedy during his hearing that uh, that he believed Roe was settled law and it should remain the law of the land. So these people huh. have, no, have no respect for the truth. They, have, they will lie to anyone in order to get elected and try to fool people, which is why it's so important that everyone goes to that website and finds out the facts, because everything on that website is annotated with footnotes and with sources. So none of this is rumors or conjecture. It is all there for anyone that wants to see the truth right there. Quotes from, from Mark Curran about how um, how wonderful the insurrection was. I mean, we're talking about people that are supporting these candidates and were involved with the January 6th insurrection. That that's what that's what we're dealing with here. We need to so, take a break, Terry. Um, okay. We've got so much to talk about. I'm talking to Terry Cosgrove with Personal Pack Illinois. We'll be back with more right after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. I'm joined by Terry Cosgrove, who's with Personal PAC Illinois. We are 15 days away from an election. And if you have a Supreme Court ballot, a Supreme Court race on your ballot, you need to go to a website, wrongforillinois.com, wrongforillinois.com, to find out the real scoop on who's running 
and what they really stand for and how you need to vote. I remember, Terry, you telling me, you know, oh, my God, a year or two ago when I was being all, you know, oh, well, you know, Illinois, we don't have anything to worry about here. And you were like, wait a minute, Joan, (laughs) wait a minute. We are always one election away from having a different outcome. We are one election away from having a different life, different laws to live that life by. We are one election away from having different protections. Uh, and hey, Terry, I want to ask you something about that. Sure. Because I'm starting to, I think this is all nonsense, but you know, I'm obviously perhaps not completely unbiased. I've been reading more and more people saying, oh, well, you know, women were really upset when Roe v. Wade was struck down. But, you know, that was a few months ago. It's really old news now. And yet, Terry, I read how state after state after state, most of the people who are registering to vote uh, are women. That so far here in the state of Illinois, women are outvoting men. Do you think that women have decided it's old news that their daughters now have to live in a different world? Well, no, I don't quite understand your question more and more. Well, the question more is, more do you think it's true that I'm, I'm hearing from pundits that say it's not going to affect the election because Roe v. Wade is old news and people have gotten over it? No, I don't think so at all. In fact, um, this morning, um, five sexual assault survivors held a press conference um, to make sure that people understand what's at risk here. And no, I don't think so. I've been going uh, door to door every weekend for candidates, and I've never had the um, I've never had the question asked more than I have in the last uh, in the last few weeks from people at the door. They want to know if the candidates that um, I'm at their door for, which are basically Liz Rochford and Mary Kay O'Brien, are pro-choice. So, no, I don't think so at all. Um, I I think that this is a that this is top of mind, and I think it's important for people to understand what we're about to lose. And you know, I agree with you, Joan, that every election is important, and I'll tell you why this one is more important than than the other ones because these Supreme Court these Supreme Court terms are for ten long years. So this isn't like losing a seat in the Illinois Senate or a seat in the Illinois House or a congressional seat where you can get it back in two years. This is for a generation. This election is for the next generation, because if we elect Michael Burke and Mark Curran, we're putting these two guys on the court for 10 years, and then there's a retention vote after that. So they're never up for an election after this. Once you win a seat on the Illinois Supreme Court, you're never up for an election, but you simply have a retention vote, and people go in and they vote yes or no. So, And only one justice has been removed by a retention vote, and that was two years ago. So it is really critical that people understand that there's no sitting on the sidelines for this election. There's no there's no do over. This isn't like, you know, flunking the driver's test or the GED or the bar exam where, you know, six months later or next year you retake it and then you can retake it again. No, this is it. That this is this is past fail on November 8th. Either we're going to pass the test 
and we're going to protect all the rights that we've gained in Illinois, or we're going to fail it, and we're going to lose everything. That's how clear this is. There, there's no, there's no gray. There's no in between. And you know, Joan, I spent 33 years at Personal Pack trying to convince people that Roe v. Wade was going to be overturned, and it was very, very painful to hear people say, oh, Terry, I don't think that's ever going to happen. That can happen, you know, that we have the penumbra of rights, stare decisis. I'm not an attorney, but I'm just telling you all the things. The the 14th Amendment, there's no way that the Supreme Court is going to overturn Roe v. Wade. Well, guess what? They did. And the same thing with, with what's going on in the Illinois Supreme Court. It doesn't matter that that we have a pro-choice, I mean, it matters that we have a pro-choice General Assembly and a pro-choice governor, but if the Supreme Court of Illinois decides that the Reproductive Health Act and and, um, HB 40, which got rid of our trigger law, if they overturn it, we get our trigger law back, which means on that day, on that day, abortion, most forms of birth control and IVF become illegal in Illinois. That's what's at stake here. Because those lawsuits are already filed against the Reproductive Health Act. I saw Kwame Raoul at an event recently, and he told me how his lawyers are getting ready to go into the court and defend um, against the lawsuit filed by the Thomas More Society of Catholic Lawyers that Michael Burke is a member of. Um, that those lawsuits are already sitting in the courts. We don't, we, we don't have to make up anything here. It is happening right now in front of our eyes. You said that you've been going door to door. Uh, tell me about what some of those conversations have been like. What do people well, know and what yeah. do they ask you? Well, it, you know, they vary a lot. Um, most people, I mean, it's it's changing a little, like in the last week or two, but a month ago. Um, you know, one of the problems we're having, which is why I'm on your show, is that most people don't even know that we elect an Illinois Supreme Court. That is... This is all very new because these races have never gotten much attention. But because of Roe v. Wade, because of being overturned, and because of the possibility that two right-wing crazies like Burke and Curran could get elected to the Illinois Supreme Court, um, then all of a sudden there's there's a need for people to pay attention to these races. So that's... so. More and more people are now understand because I think because of the, the you know the TV, the radio, the direct mail, communication from both sides. I mean, the right wingers are out there working very, very hard. They're at the churches on Sunday. They're making phone calls. They um, Ken Griffin has put six point five million dollars into a super PAC to elect these Republicans. I mean, we are up against odds here. So no, no one listening to your show can afford to sit back and do nothing, which is why it's very easy for people to go to Wrong for Illinois, F-O-R, and, and forward that on to everyone they know, post it on social media, and ask everyone they know to pass it on, because the worst nightmare for me, Joan, is to wake up on November 9th and hear people say, I had no idea this was happening. I can't believe this is happening in Illinois. Why didn't anyone tell me what was at risk? I don't want to hear that from anyone. We all have a responsibility to make sure that there isn't a single voter in Illinois who is pro-choice, who is pro-LGBTQ, who wants to see us survive climate change, 
on not knowing what's at risk, not to mention gun safety. Uh, so uh, that's With what's the- at risk. And so people have to use the next 15 days to get this job done, because if we don't, it is going to be catastrophic. Illinois will go the way of Missouri, Indiana, Texas, Missouri, turn out the lights and go home. That's what, With that's 15 days le- left to go, and, and you're, you're certainly somebody who has a lot of experience in this. You know, I agree with you. You know, I, I don't want to hear somebody say, oh, my gosh, I didn't know. I didn't realize. So is it door to door? Should we be putting up billboards? Should personal pack yes. be buying well, television ads? How do we well, reach we're doing that? We're doing that. Um, uh, we are doing that. And uh, we have a very strong presence on social media. Um, if people want to do more other than passing the website along, you can go to uh, Jane's Army, uh, Jane's Army 2022 um, Dot com is it Jane's Army 2022.com? Yes, you can go on Jane's Army 2022.com and you can sign up to volunteer to come out and canvas with us every, the next two Saturdays, which is there's only two Saturdays left before the election. Mm-hmm. Um, the next Saturday will be out in uh, East Dundee in uh, Kane County um, canvassing for Liz Rochford. Um, I was out in Naperville yesterday with Mary Kay O'Brien, who was wonderful. Um, we were in Naperville. And then the following Saturday, we'll be out uh, with, uh, in Grays Lake with, uh, with Liz Rochford again and Joyce Mason, who's the state rep candidate. And then this Saturday, um, Suzanne Ness, who's in a tight race for her seat against a right winger, uh, will be canvassing for both of them. We're meeting at her office. So anyone that wants to go online at Jane's Army, sign up. You will get the information, where to go. Uh, if you've never canvassed before, don't worry about it. We train people. It's easy. We, You know, you team up with someone who knows what they're doing, and it really makes <laughs> yeah. a difference. Yeah, it somebody who can hold your hand. Yeah, when you go to someone's door and um, – and even though the interaction may not be, uh, you know, may not be more than a minute and you just give them the literature and they say, thank you very much, I'll read it over. I get the, most people say that. But here's why it makes a difference. Because when that voter goes into the polling booth and they're going down and they see the two names of the candidate, they may not have completely made up their mind. But you know what they're going to remember? that nice man or woman came to my door and mentioned that. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's important. So even though you're not going to have any complex, detailed conversations. Now, some people will say, uh, you know, and also, you know, it's it's interesting. You're you're walking uh, door to door, and this happened two weeks ago uh, in Naperville, actually. I was on this block, and like... Half the houses either had an equality flag or they had Black Lives Matter or whatever. So you have a smile on your face when you're going up to that door because you know <laughs> you're talking to friendly people. You're not talking yeah. to right-wing Republicans. And so it's and it's really nice just to, to have those kinds of conversations with people who say, and generally those people are really already pretty informed, but it's nice to reinforce that they make sure everyone in their family votes, everyone you know, have you talked to your neighbors? So um so you get you get those responses. So and like yesterday, we were at a canvasser, about 50 people out in Naperville that came out to canvas with us. And I said to people, I said, imagine there's 50 people here. If each one of us only talks to 10 voters, 
in the two hours that we're going to be out there times 50, that's 500 voters, which could very well be the margin on Election Day. Yep. In one of these races. In fact, the, the, the primary between Mark Curran and his opponents wasn't decided for two or three weeks after that because they were still counting ballots for a few weeks because of all the mail-in ballots and the, and the early uh, – they, they didn't call it for several weeks. So that's why it's important. In addition, there's text banking. Um, if you're on Facebook or any kind, I don't want um, to um, age myself too much, Facebook, <laughs> TikTok, um, any of the social media sites, go onto your site and put this um, Wrong for Illinois site up and ask everyone that, that, that you're friends with to please read it and pass it on to everyone they know. So literally, there is enough for anyone that wants to do, and I'll tell you the greatest cure for anxiety and trepidation is to is to organize is to do something so if you're nervous if you if you're if you're sitting there biting your nails like a lot of people about the outcome for our democracy and choice and everything else there are things you can do in the next 15 days that you will feel better about because you will be contributing to a better outcome to this election yep yep and if we uh, t- all do it and it, here's the good news Joan if we all do it we're going to win and you know why is because we don't need you know 30% of 18 to 29 year olds vote in an election we don't need all 70% of them to that haven't voted to vote all we need to do is get that up to two, 32 or 33% 53% of white suburban women voted for Donald Trump in 2016 we don't need all 53% of them back what we need is get that down to 49 or 48% so we will win these races on those margins and on turnout turning out um good progressive um moderate independents Democrats, pro-choice Republicans who believe that saving the right to choose and saving our democracy is worth their vote. And that's what's at stake. We're going to hear more from Terry Cosgrove. We have to take a break. We're going to take a real quick break and we're going to continue this discussion right after this. Joan Esposito, live, local and progressive on WCPT 820. And I'm joined by Terry Cosgrove with Personal PAC, Illinois. Terry, you said something a little earlier in our conversation that I know to be true, but uh, I'd like to know what went into it. You said you have you were saying for a long time, uh, don't you know, don't count on row. Um, people were like, oh, it's the law of the land. You know, Terry, take a breath. No, you were like, we've got to prepare. You saw something coming that the rest of it, rest of us did not. What did you see, Terry? What made you feel that Roe v. Wade was going to be overturned or that it was shaky? Right. Okay. First of all, thank you. Um, I, um, I, you know, we lost Roe because we lost an election and we're going to save Illinois by winning an election. So let me start right there. What happened, Joan, was, and a little history here, uh, when I started at Personal Pack in 1989, we were one of the most anti-choice states in the country. We had spousal consent, meaning a married woman had to get her husband's written permission to get an abortion. We had the trigger law 
um, that was enacted in the 1970s, right after Roe was decided, that said that the day um, abortion would become illegal, um, life would begin at conception. This was written into Illinois law. Life would begin at conception, and which means that uh, the most commonly used forms of birth control, abortion, IVF, would be illegal. So. So I had been pushing the General Assembly for many, many years, and a lot of legislators are interested in it, to repeal all that stuff because it was all enjoined. So as soon as these horrible laws passed, and there's many more, there, there's prohibitions and IVF, there's all kinds of um, um, lousy, there were lousy laws on the books, but the ACLU would go into court and get them enjoined based on Roe v. Wade. So, at, so it always made me nervous that we had these laws on the books because, number one, an Illinois Supreme Court could come along and say that they didn't honor Roe v. Wade. But number two, after Donald Trump got elected and he promised, and this is what just sickens me, the man told us that he would only appoint justices to the U.S. Supreme Court that would overturn Roe v. Wade, and people ignored that. Not enough people um, mm. in the states that we needed. I mean, I'm, I don't mean to diminish the fact that Hillary Clinton won the election by over 5 million votes or what, 3 million, I forget mm-hmm. what it was, or 88,000 between three states, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. But it made me very, very nervous as more and more, uh, more and more right-wingers got appointed to the Supreme Court, knowing that the clock was ticking on Roe, and then the day that Roe would be overturned, all of these laws that were enjoined because of Roe would all of a sudden become legal in Illinois. So we would have spousal consent. We would have, um, you know, we would have prohibitions on birth control. By the way, the Reproductive Health Act in 2019 got rid of all those laws. If Michael Burke and Mark Curran get elected to the Supreme Court, and the challenge that is in the court right now today that Kwame Raul is, is fighting, if that if that challenge to the Reproductive Health Act gets overturned, that means all the stuff that we removed with the RHA that was enjoined, the spousal consent, the prohibitions on birth control, the prohibitions on IVF, those all become law again because there's no Roe v. Wade to prevent them from becoming law. So I don't know if that's too many dots to connect. Mm-hmm. But, um, so that that was always from the day that I started a personal pack and I knew all the horrible laws that were on our statutes, but enjoined, it made me very, very nervous. And that's why I said, you know, Roe's going to be overturned someday. And also the right wingers were making more and more progress in every single in most states in the country. It just Take the state of Texas. In 1992, Ann Richards was the governor. Um, they had two. Uh, Benson uh, was this U.S. senator. Texas was a fairly progressive state. Roe v. Wade was decided. It was the. It was Sarah Weddington was from Texas. So here we take the state of Texas, which was this Democratic, um, progressive state. The same was true of Wisconsin in the 90s and 80s. And then you look at Illinois, which was this backwater of horrible anti-choice bills, and look at where we are 30 years later. Mm. Illinois is a progressive, pro-choice state, and Texas is a horrible, absolutely horrible, hateful state when it comes to voting rights, labor, um, you know, you mentioned it, choice, LGBTQ rights, and what happened? Elections. That's the only difference. 
it wasn't, you know, the, the temperature of the water didn't change, the mm-hmm. demographics, the demographics didn't change much. It was elections. The right wingers were living, were winning elections. I mean, Missouri and Iowa used to be, uh, used to be fairly reliable, uh, progressive Democratic states. Oh my God, Wisconsin was one of the most progressive states in the country. Milwaukee was the first state, it was the first city in the country, uh, after the, um, Civil Rights Act, uh, to desegregate their schools and housing. Milwaukee, Wisconsin, in 1977, and was one of the first cities in the country to have busing. Uh, to desegregate schools. In 1977, Milwaukee, Wisconsin became the very first state in the country by 20 years to pass an LGBTQ civil rights bill. And look at where Wisconsin is today. And why did that happen? Elections. So I, it, I don't, I, and I'm just going to say this because it's, I still find it hard to believe. I don't understand why more people who care about the health and well-being of our society do not take getting involved with the electoral process more seriously. Well, forget, Terry, getting involved. Most voters, in my experience, don't even take that much time to educate themselves. Yeah, why more people just don't pay attention uh, to, and then to go out and vote you know, uh, against Democrats for Republicans because of because of issues when the Republicans are offering no solutions. You know, it would be one thing if the Democrats were screwing up issue A and the Republicans had a great um, plan to fix it, but they don't. You know, so the Democrats are doing a lot of really good things and the Republicans have no plan other than to tear down, uh, you know, what, what has been accomplished. I mean, it's hard to believe that the, you know, the, the civil rights, the voting rights that we've fought for in this country for the last 50 years, not to mention choice, you know, are, are all going the way of history and, um, and, um, and, and things are getting uh, where they are. But that doesn't mean that we can't get them back. So I just, I want people to feel, uh, I want people to feel that we have the power to change things and make progress. We're just, we're in a really rough time right now. And you know what you do when you're in a rough time? You get to work. You get organized. And you take it seriously. And so that's why I'm hoping that uh, that people will, and especially young people with climate change. You know, I'm not going to be around when, uh, you know, when the worst of climate change happens. Who knows? You know, that the, the glaciers are melting at, at three times the, the rate that, that scientists thought they would even five years ago. So who knows? I may be around for it. Um, (laughs) Yes, we thought we were we thought we were just ruining the the planet for our grandchildren. Turns out we might be ruining the planet for ourselves as well. I know, and our children. Yeah, absolutely. So it's uh it's really yeah, um this is this is red alert. So you know what, but it's Part of it is, is that all of us need to take the opportunity to talk to everyone we know, because, you know, I, I don't argue with, with right-wingers and with MAGA Republicans. What I'm more interested in is conversations with people who just don't have the facts and don't have the information. And mm-hmm. that's what's so great about getting out and talking to, to um, I'll just say, average voters who aren't activists. And that's, and that's why I like it so much, because you really feel like you're making a difference. I mean... To go, you know, to 
you know, spend hours on Facebook talking to the echo chamber, what I call is everyone in the same phone booth. That doesn't really do any good. I mean, we need to be uh, talking to people who are not in the phone booth or are not in our echo chamber. You know, I'm, I know that 90% of people there on my Facebook page already agree with me, so that's I, mean, <laughs> I like posting stuff. Uh, but it's really not doing anything to expand and to reach the people that we need to reach to win elections. Yeah. And if people listening have kids in college, make sure that they're getting their absentee ballot and they're voting. I mean, I, I, someone was telling me the other day, she, she, she got, she made sure that her high school and college, uh, kids, um, got their absentee ballots. They all sat down at the kitchen table at the same time. She and and the three kids and they all cast their ballot and they all voted. She wanted to make sure it got done. So I, more people need to do that. We we have to take all of this very seriously and uh, and and get the job done. And if we do, we're going to win, and we are going to have uh, you know we're going to have clean water. We're going to get choice back. We're going to protect the right to vote. I mean, that's the other thing I want to mention is that we are so lucky in Illinois. We have some of the best voting rights laws in the country. We have early voting, by the way, in person. Early voting started today. And especially in DuPage County, you can it's the only county in the state where you literally can vote anywhere in the county. So if you live across the street from a polling place that's not your precinct and your polling place is four or five blocks away, you can now just walk across the street and vote at that polling place. You do not have to vote at the polling place that's assigned to your precinct. So we have the best voting rights. That's only in DuPage. We have we have drive-through voting. We have drop boxes. We have early voting. We have vote by mail. We have same-day registration and voting. So today, online voter registration closed, but you can still register to vote if you're not registered or one of your your partner isn't. Your your uh, voting age. Uh, siblings or children aren't registered, they can still do it in person. And as a last resort, and I do not recommend this, but if it comes down to the wire, you can walk into a polling place in Illinois and register to vote and cast your ballot on Election Day. Yeah, that's leaving it down to the wire. Um, Terry, we need to take another break. Yeah. Okay. And we're going to continue this discussion real quick right after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. I'm here with Terry Cosgrove with Personal PAC, Illinois. We have been talking about uh, the importance of our Supreme Court elections here in the state of Illinois in the aftermath of the devastation of Roe v. Wade. Terry, President Biden said quite publicly, give me two more senators and I will carve out from the filibuster, an exception to uh, codify Roe v. Wade. Do you think in your crystal ball that is likely to happen? Um, I have no idea, Joan, and I'm not paying attention to the uh, federal elections, uh, to be honest with you, because we lost Roe in the states. Now, I'm not saying that federal laws aren't important, but the reality is for those of us in Illinois for the next 15 days, uh, we need to vote for Tammy Duckworth. We need to vote for the Congress people that are pro-choice. But the focus really needs to be on 
on these two Supreme Court races, as well as uh, reelecting Governor Pritzker, Kwame Raul, and our constitutional offices. Uh, But, you know, we have to rebuild our movement at the state level. I think there, you know, there's so much talk online now about, um, you know, how Democrats dropped the ball on uh, taking state elections seriously. And, you know, we saw that with the, with the horrible redistricting that Republicans have done. You know, Democrats win congressional seats by millions of votes, but yet they don't have a, uh, a majority in state after state because of uh, Republican redistricting. So, I don't want to um, I don't want people to not take the federal election seriously. But let me put it to you this way. So let's say the filibuster is dropped and two years from now uh, and and then two years from now, the Republicans take over Congress and the and the and the White House and they undo it. So I, I, I mean, I see it as an important strategy, but I also think that we need to fo- really focus on, on the state elections in Illinois for the next 15 days. And then we'll know what the results of that will be, and we can focus on, on other things. So that's my answer to it. And I don't know how realistic it is. Uh, obviously, I, you know, I, I'm contributing to Mandela Barnes and to John Fetterman, and I'm doing my, you know, my little part here in Illinois as someone who wants to see them win. And hopefully, we'll be able to do that. Uh, but I really think we need to focus on keeping Illinois. We are the haven right now in the middle of the country for 56 million women across the Midwest who are living in states where abortion care is not safely available. So if we lose, if Illinois um, goes away, all you have to do is look at the map in the middle of the country. We're Mm -hmm. it. We're it. And, and, uh, and people having to go to the two coasts or potentially to, uh, to Minnesota, you know, the, the, there's an amendment in the state of Michigan to codify Roe v. Wade in the Constitution or codify legal abortion in the state constitution of Michigan. So that's, those are the kind of things that I think that uh, really need to be focused on, that where people put their local energy into doing that. And again, that doesn't mean we don't want to elect people to federal office that are supportive, uh, but I prefer just in my work to, to focus uh, on what's going on at the state level. And look what we've accomplished by doing that. Mm-hmm. Absol- know, so it's absolutely. Not like it's, it's not like it's a foolhardy strategy. I mean, we have, in fact, it's, it's so interesting now. People are using Illinois as a model for how you organize at the state level and, uh, and how you do. I mean, we, we have some of the best environmental laws in the country. If I'm if I believe what I read in the newspapers uh, and uh, we're, we're the number one builder of electric batteries for I mean, batteries for electric vehicles. I mean, there's a lot of very important work that's going on in the state of Illinois because we have paid attention to elections and we've elected some really good people uh, to the Illinois General Assembly uh, to, to the cook to. President Tony Preckwinkle is amazing on the Cook County Board, as well as obviously Governor Pritzker and, and Attorney General Kwame Raul and our legislative leaders. All of those people working together have done wonders for Illinois. 
And uh, and I'm so proud to live in this state and, and have, uh, you know, people talk about moving to Indiana. Fine, you can move to Indiana. That's <laughs> and if giving up your civil rights uh, <laughs> to move to Indiana, you know, be my guest. I'm not following you, that's for sure, because I'm staying here and fighting in the great state of Illinois. <laughs> you know, we you mentioned earlier um, voter turnout and how we don't need to sway every Republican woman or every semi-apathetic voter. We just need to get some of them. Um, again, I'm reading more and more about how, you know, millennials, there are enough of them out there, Terry. If all the millennials voted, this oh, would be God, their yes. world. You know, they yes, would shut the down old farts like me in a heartbeat oh, with God, their vast numbers. I'd love to be pushed out of the way by some young, energetic millennial who said, Terry, it's time to go home. We're taking over. Thank you very much. Don't let the door hit you in the butt on the way out. I would love it. Well, speaking of which, have you uh, thought about changing your plans to retire from personal pack? no. No, no, I haven't. No, but personal back is going to be in great shape um, after I after I do let the door hit me in the butt. So um, <laughs> it it will be no, it, it's going to be in great shape. And uh, they have been working. You know, I I let them know two years ago that I was leaving. If this was not a surprise to anyone here, um, I didn't. You know, in in terms of you know the other people knowing about it, it really did matter to me. But they have taken they have taken painstaking measures to plan for it. And you know, the last thing I wanted to do was you know give like a two week or a month or a three month Mm -hmm. notice. And I may I told them two years ago I would leave after this election after this year. So uh, so stay tuned for news on that front after November eighth. But uh, no, um, I'm still going to be involved. I just don't know how yet. I need to figure out, and I need other people to tell me where I will be most useful. So that's that's the only thing that I'm you know that I'm gonna uh, wait to figure out. You know, I don't really see you as being the kind of guy who's going to sit on the couch, watch TV, and eat bonbons. No, no, that's not uh, that's not going to be me. But I'll you know I'll uh, you know I'll. Um, I'll figure it out, you know, after after this election. And a lot of it really matters on on what happens, because if we do lose these two Supreme Court races, it's, it's going to get very ugly very fast. We can't, Terry. We can't lose these. We can't no, lose these two seats. I know. We, I agree. We just can't. And if we win, if we win, that means that we can build on so much of the progress that we've already made, you know, so. Uh, I mean, it so couldn't be clearer. Right. No, I know. I know. And it's uh, and that's why I say, you know, we always say this is the most important election. Um, but this one really is because of these 10 year terms and the importance of two Supreme Court seats. So uh, so it really is. Yes, it absolutely really is. And when you were when you were going door to door, the people you were talking to were most of them planning to vote or however they were planning to do it. Yes, they were. Yeah, they were. They were. Um, you know, they're. You know, you have to understand. People aren't. A lot of people. It's. Uh, it, 
it's not an overly engaging discussion with with most people. Now there are some great discussions. Like I I, um, I had a woman, you know, she answered the door, and the very first thing she said to me, this is about Mary Kay O'Brien, is she pro-choice? And I said, well, she's endorsed by Planned Parenthood and Personal Pack, and she believes in the in the, the right to privacy. And she said, great. Um, where can I volunteer? I mean, she was just like oh. on it right away, and and said, oh, I'm really glad to hear that. I'm going to tell you know everyone I know. Now that that's a rare person. I'm going to be honest with you, but but there is definitely people. I, I feel that people are more engaged than they ever have been when I've gone door to door. So that that's the good news. Um, and like I said, you go out there for an hour if you talk to ten people. Um, you know that that's ten more people that are more engaged in our democratic process, and that feels really good. And it's important. Well. I think we can do it um, in, in no small part to actions by people like you and all the people who are out there knocking doors, making sure. I mean, this is something that I've been touching on almost every day, you know, to make sure Thank people you. understand, you know, because I'll, you know, I'll do it and then I'll think, oh, my God, I've been talking about this for three days. I better back off. And then somebody will send me an email. Would you tell me more about the judges and what what's at stake? Mm-hmm. And so there we go again. We start it all up again just to, to make sure that everybody gets what is at stake. Terry, it is delightful. I hope um, after this election, maybe if we can squeeze in another interview before you officially you know, let the door hit you in yeah. the butt. Yeah, absolutely. No, listen, I'll, I'll, I'll do my, uh, I don't know if they, they call it uh, um, the, the Roundup Tour or something. On <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Thanks, Terry. Okay. Well, you take oh, care. Thank you, you very too. much for everything, Joan. You are wonderful. Well, thank you. You're very kind. Okay. We are going to take a break for news. We are going to be back with more right after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Joan Esposito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT 820. We are going to be joined by Carolyn Fiddler. She's with the Courier Newsrooms. She specializes in taking a look at state legislatures. State legislatures have been more in the news with this upcoming midterm election than I can recall in a very, very, very long time because we have for the first time people in vast numbers, and I'm sorry, but close to 300 is pretty vast to me, who are on the ballot in state by state by state, and yet they don't believe in facts. They won't believe or at least won't admit that they believe that Joe Biden is the legitimate president of the United States. It is um, it's sort of like a Alice in Wonderland kind of mirror universe. I think we find ourselves in now. And uh, Carolyn Fiddler specializes in looking at those state legislatures and also those races. She joins us now to talk about that. Welcome back, Carolyn. Thank you for joining us again. Thank you for having me back. I really appreciate it. Okay, we've got 50 states. We don't have time to hit them all. <laughs> we may need not even have time to hit 10. So <laughs> let's let's start with, hopefully we'll get past these, but let's start with your top five. 
the states that you have been watching the most, whether that's because you're thrilled or appalled or worried? <laughs> Let's start there. Uh, yeah, that's like actually a really fantastic place to start. Um, there are definitely five states that are getting a lot of my attention and everyone's attention this cycle, mostly because these are states where the majority is arguably up for grabs and or there are other situations in play like, say, staving off a supermajority in um, Wisconsin or North Carolina. But let's start with the, the, the offensive opportunities that Democrats have this year. And the biggest one of those, Michigan, Michigan State House and State Senate are competitive now in a way they have not been in over a decade. Well, I just saw I started off um, my show today talking about a recent CNN poll that showed uh, Democratic Governor uh, Gretchen uh, Whitmer has a lead over her appointment. Talk to me about what's going on in the rest of the state. Uh, Well, what we're seeing at the top of the ticket there with the governor's race is uh, definitely connected to what we're seeing uh, down ballot as well. Abortion is literally on the ballot in Michigan this year. There is a um, ballot measure, Proposition uh, 3, I believe it is, uh, where folks will be able to vote to add uh, abortion protections to the state constitution. So that is definitely providing a political backdrop for all other elections in the state this time. And there aren't any statewide federal elections. There are no U.S. senators on the on the ballot in Michigan. There are obviously congressional seats, but a lot of the focus has been on just these state-level races, whether it's governor, secretary of state, uh, attorney general, and these state legislative races. Um, because uh, because Republicans, lawmakers, in this case Republicans, because they have a majority in the legislature, but politicians were taken, taken out of the redistricting process uh, this time around. So in Michigan, the candidates have fair maps to run on. So it is there is a possibility that Democrats could flip one or both of those chambers on November 8th. So it's a big deal. Okay, Michigan. We'll put what check by Michigan. Um, that's that's really good news. You know, I saw somebody post on social media this morning. You know, sort of it was based in part on the CNN poll, but it was like, you know, don't believe you know these reports that you're getting that somehow a, a blue majority has turned into a Republican wave because. Uh, there are lots of states where Democrats are doing really well. Um, what's our next state to look at? Uh, our next state to look at is going to be Pennsylvania. Uh, Pennsylvania. I love Pennsylvania. Where... That has I have an obsession with Pennsylvania. I've never lived there, um, but I think that you know I, I sort of learned more about some of the other races because I was just so I was just so entranced by John Fetterman and who he was and what he represented. And then to have an opponent like Dr. Oz, oh, it it gives me the creeps just mentioning his name. I just am fixated on this race, and and I've started learning about some of the other races, and I'm sorry I interrupted you. I'm going to be quiet now, and you are going to talk now, Carolyn. No, all good. No, Pennsylvania is a very exciting place. And Fetterman is such a compelling and unique candidate. It is absolutely makes perfect sense to be fascinated by him. And he also has this really unique opponent in Dr. Oz, uh, the guy from New Jersey. I heard that Dr. Oz even recorded some of his campaign ads at his New Jersey house. It's wild, right? Like, mm-hmm. unforced error after unforced error. Like, does he 
he didn't want to run for this, I feel like he should have just sat it out, right? Because he is campaigning as though he's you know not taking this super seriously. But national groups are swooping in with a lot of uh, a lot of money to try and help him out. So it's definitely I wouldn't call that race in the bag. Uh, Pennsylvania is certainly challenging. Um, the legislature there. Democrats are down a little further in Pennsylvania than they are in Michigan. So it is a, um, a taller order to flip uh, one or both of those chambers, the House and the Senate. It's probably a two-cycle prospect, but Democrats could get close enough to a majority this year to really uh, put the fear of God in Republicans' hearts, so to speak, in, uh, in Pennsylvania. Um, when one party suddenly makes gains and another party feels like their days might be numbered, Policies mm-hmm. tend to change. We saw that in Virginia just a few years ago, back in 17. So uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, and I do think Democrats can flip uh, Pennsylvania. It just might take uh, a couple of cycles is all, uh, depending on what kind of night Democrats have in just over two weeks. It's wild. <laughs> it's so soon. Yeah. And uh, to, mer- to remind our listeners, if you're as uh, fixated on Pennsylvania as I am, there is going to be a Senate debate uh, tomorrow. Um, between, of course, Mr. Fetterman and Dr. Oz. And I don't know. I think, well, you know, I should be quiet because uh, I watched part of the debate between Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker. And I don't know whether it's because Herschel Walker lowered everybody's expectations, um, but a lot of people were saying that it seemed like Raphael Warnock didn't really know how to handle Herschel Walker. And, you know, it's a tough position to be in because I personally feel that Herschel Walker is, is he's, I mean, he's admitted to having a, a diagnosis of dissociative disorder. You know, he claims that he doesn't remember holding a gun to his girlfriend's head and threatening to shoot her, that he dissociated from that event. But he talks like he's cured. And the psychiatrists I know say, you know, you can manage it, you can control it, you can take medication for it, but it's not like a cold where it goes away and suddenly you don't have dissociative disorder anymore. And I mean, he's really a pretty damaged human being. And honestly, don't you think that makes it tough to debate? Because if you go too hard, it's like you're kicking a puppy. But if you don't go hard enough, then then it's like you come across as weak. What's the answer there, Carolyn? No, you make it. That's a really, really good point. Um, it, it is hard to know how to debate someone who, you know, football is a, is a damaging sport, like to, to bodies, to brains. It's, it can leave a lot of damage in its wake, uh, for a person's lifetime. And most, uh, like most football players are retired way before Tom Brady, mm-hmm. <laughs> way before age, way before, way before age 30 or 35, usually, because it is so hard, uh, to, to play football. It's just, it's literally a bruising sport. Um, and so, but yeah, like, what do you do with this? Do you go hard because this is a race for the U.S. Senate, or do you try and uh, do you try and manage the situation a little bit and not come off as too mean? But at the same time, you can't let you can't give the other person a pass. Like this person is running for the U.S. Senate. It is a very powerful exactly. Position. Well, you know, when I've and seen these outrageous, yeah, when I've seen these outrageous clips of my favorite, I think, is the bad air clip. You know that. Um, uh, what is it? We're supposed to, China wants our air or they're going to send, they're taking our good air and China's going to send us their bad air. And I mean, the man, and, and just recently when Tom Cotton and, um, Rick Scott tried to prop him up at a rally, 
I mean, he gets up there and he he's telling a story like he's trying to make a point. And the story starts nowhere, goes nowhere and ends nowhere. And, you know, Rick Scott and Tom Cotton are looking like they've just heard, you know, they've just heard a genius level uh, observation of the world. And it's it's, you know, what what do you do with somebody like that? And, And the Republicans are setting him up. To, you know, I think they think that he's famous, he's black, people will vote for him, they won't pay that much attention. And they're being so cynical that I feel that I have to air some of this stuff. I can't just sit back and pretend that Herschel Walker is a regular guy with with a regular number of brain cells running for office. I feel bad doing it, but I feel like people need to know this stuff. Right, absolutely. Uh, Like, no one made him run for U.S. Senate. It, mm-hmm. it's, 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 there's a lot of power inherent in holding that office. And, you know, that's what campaigns are for. They're to find out what candidates are about, what they're going to do when they hold office, how they're going to act, how they're going to talk, what, what policies they support. Are they capable of supporting policies? Things like that. It is all very important. And um, while I do actually really hope that Herschel Walker gets gets more help, it seems like he might need more, more treatment for uh, things that, you know, probably came out of, uh, his his football career, but um, again, no one made him run for the U.S. Senate. So it is it is really important to uh, to point out these uh, these limitations that he clearly has. And not only did no one make him run for that seat, but his son Christian came out and said that literally every family member begged him not to run, and um, and he decided he was going to do it anyway. And uh, and there are a lot of family members. I mean, this is a guy who's had a lot of relationships with a lot of women, has a lot of kids. And according to Christian, nobody was behind this Senate run. Anyway, uh, Carolyn, I need to take a break. I'm getting too wrapped up in this conversation. I need to find my Zen moment. And we will be back right after this. Jonas Pazito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. I'm joined by Carolyn Fiddler. She's with the Courier Newsrooms, and she's been spending time looking at what is going on in state legislatures. And it is important to focus on those important races as we are 15 days, 15 days, count them, folks, away from the midterm elections. Okay, I kind of jumped ahead to Georgia in that last segment. I got carried away. Anything else we need to know about Georgia? Uh, Georgia in particular, uh, not really. That Senate race is really the one to watch there. Uh, I I do love Stacey Abrams. I I have known her since she was a member of the legislature down there. Um, But that that governor's race is is not looking like it's going to go Democrats' way, which is super disappointing because Kemp sucks. But yeah. um, what I what I really hope is that uh, Stacey Abrams at least you know stays engaged, get, runs for something else, stays, becomes becomes a a party luminary and uh, and remains a part of the conversation for sure. I mean, obviously, I hope she wins. I hope all the polls are totally wrong, and I hope she wins. And she may. You never know. We know polls have a have a pretty fraught history these days. So. Well, uh, yeah, and um, I was talking to a campaign strategist once about a particular uh, state race where somebody was running and I was like, you know, 
um, somebody high profile. And I was like, why is this person running? You know, they were defeated before. They don't have much chance. And they were like, yes, but because of that high profile name and the energy that they will bring to this, that they will get more people out to vote. And whether or not they win at the top of the ballot, we will win more on the down ballot races because they were there and they get people excited and people are more likely to come out. Do you think Stacey Abrams, whether she wins or not, could have that effect in Georgia? Oh, absolutely. I absolutely uh, agree with that. And and uh, and this sort of um, this effect uh, goes both up and down the ballot. Uh, that's a really good point about someone exciting at the top of the ballot, bringing out more folks for uh, for down ballot races. But down ballot roll off is a real thing, by which I mean people like vote for the U.S. Senate candidate or the gubernatorial candidate. And then they're just like, oh, here are a bunch of names on my ballot for these state legislative offices I've never heard of. So they end up not voting. So what yeah. happens when you have someone who actually votes at, at the that bottom of the ticket level, like for your state legislator, um, that person is also almost certainly going to vote all the way up the ticket. So having uh, having folks run in all these all these races, even if they're not, you know, sort of winnable, or if there's like, say, no hope of flipping majority control of a legislative cha- chamber, which is where the real power is, um, it, still ma- it still matters quite a lot to have as many candidates in as many districts as possible, because it definitely helps literally everyone else on the ballot. So Interesting. Okay. Michigan check, Pennsylvania check, Georgia check. Where are we going next? Arizona. House and by the way, uh, for those of you listening, I miss when I I, I told you about um, voter intimidation and uh, the guys who were dressed in camo and had the um, rifles and were st- uh, sort of staking out a drop box. I couldn't remember exactly. I thought I said it was um, anyway. I said it was wrong. It's in Arizona. Arizona is where it happened. So if you look up that footage. Um, yeah. Um, and, you know, because Merrick Garland today said, you know, that the DOJ was going to make sure, Carolyn, that there's no voter intimidation. I was like, well, you know, you better get your guys out there because it seems to be starting to happen already. So Arizona, aside from the fact that men in camo are up at the crack of dawn with their rifles parked by a drop box so they can watch it. God help them. Uh, yeah. No, it's terrifying because in Arizona and in many other states, voters are already voting. Like the election is, you know, happens on November 8th, technically, but it's already underway all across the country. And yeah, no, it's really it's really frightening what these folks are doing. And I worry that there's a lot more badness that's going to emerge in the the two weeks to come. So that is definitely uh, noteworthy. But also noteworthy is the fact that Democrats only have to flip uh, two seats in the state house to win majority control there. Um, Wow. And then one seat in the state Senate um, that would that would tie the chamber in uh, in Arizona, which would be a really interesting outcome that would um, like force some power sharing agreements or you, never, you sometimes get party switchers if you have a tied chamber or whatever. Because fun fact about Arizona, no lieutenant governor like literally doesn't exist in Arizona. Really? No lieutenant governor. Correct. If a huh. line of succession, something happens to the governor, secretary of state becomes governor. Interesting. So, and I mentioned that because in most states, the lieutenant governor is also uh, president or presides over the state senate chamber and will break ties. And Arizona doesn't have that. So, yeah, I'm full of fun facts like that. (laughs) Well, you know, I'm I'm happy to hear you say that because I know Arizona has been a state 
that has seen some of the worst uh, bad MAGA behavior. And to find out that there is democratic hope there is is really, you know, I think you might have just made my day, Carolyn. I I love to hear that. That makes me very happy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, because I, th- um, you know, what, who was that? Our, our Pio, our, our Pio, that sheriff. Oh, yeah, Sheriff Arpaio, oh. that guy. Oof. Yeah. I know. And, you know, I, I tend to. I tend to think of Arizona as um, as an illiberal kind of a state, and to find out that you know maybe you know maybe all, with all the retirees from the Midwest, maybe we're having a good influence on them. <laughs> it's actually that's a really I'm really glad you brought up Arpaio because it is interesting to kind of see. Like Arizona did move away from from people like him. Like he wasn't he had a lot of power, and then he did not have a lot of power. Voters ultimately rejected him, mm-hmm. and uh, and elected two Democrats to the U.S. Senate from Arizona. Um, but at the same time, you have to set that against like the massive Maricopa County uh, audit, which I like to call the fraud it because they were looking for fraud that didn't exist, and they wasted boatloads of taxpayer mm-hmm. money on uh, an, an audit that no one needed, and actually. Through the, through the execution of this audit, it was so poorly done, they literally had to re- replace voting machines. These very expensive things had been compromised through this wow. process. Uh, anyway, I, uh, so it's, it's interesting to see that push and pull in Arizona, and we'll see which way it pulls uh, this, this year. Yeah. Um, Carolyn, we are coming up again on a break. Um, we are going to continue our discussion with Carolyn Fiddler. She's with the Courier Newsrooms. She is uh, looking focusing on what is going on in state houses across the country. If uh, if you want to join our conversation, I know it's late in the game and, you know, you may not have your dialing finger ready. 773-763-9278. If you want to uh, give us a call, we are trying to get through as many of the states as we can. Let's see, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Georgia. We've gotten through four so far. So uh, chances are we're not going to get through all of them, but we're going to give it a shot when we come right back after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. I'm joined by Carolyn Fiddler, who works with the Courier Newsrooms and specializes in what's going on in various states. And uh, Carolyn, we have a caller who wants to talk about something on the ballot in Michigan. Ron is calling in from Chicago. Uh, Ron, <clears throat> excuse me, go ahead. You're on with me and Carolyn. Yes, uh, there's a referendum in Michigan. I'm sure it's happening in other places, too, where uh, voters have to vote for uh, funding the library. And uh, conservatives have a list now of 1,600 banned books. If a library has one of these banned books, the conservatives want people to vote no on the referendum to keep the library funded to keep it open. It's uh, it's another example of larger issues coming to to bear on this, and I think the whole um, the yeah. Thank you for that call, Ron. I think the whole banned books thing, Carolyn, is is part of this whole. I don't know. I feel it's almost like a let's let's take the country back to the 1950s. You know, let's pretend that there are no gay people. Let's pretend that um, all babies are wanted and healthy and whole. Uh, It's it's really state after state. 
what is on the ballot this time seems to me a such a stark choice, more stark than I remember it being in past elections. Is that your sense, Carolyn? Yeah, and I'm really glad that Ron brought that up. Um, the book bans are are happening everywhere. Blue states, red states, they've become uh, the new front in Republicans' culture wars. Republicans are not winning on policies. Their policies are increasingly unpopular. The more and more of the population, the more and more voters, and so they are resorting to fear and culture wars to try and gin up their base, their base that is shrinking but is you know, not certainly not far from powerless, um, but they need them to turn out in force if they're going to win elections because they've abandoned trying to persuade voters uh, because no one likes what they stand for. <laughs> so, like, oh, you want to cut Social Security and, and, and Medicare? Like, no one likes that. Yeah. That's not popular at all. So they're desperate to not talk about that. They're like, oh, look at look at this book that has like a talk describes a sex scene in it. And, you know, uh Let's uh, let's just frighten everybody. And this is the way they've chosen to do it. And they want to pretend that they actually care about kids, even as they're making literal lives of children less safe with uh, all these anti-transgender policies that they're that they're coming at them with. It's really terrible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we were talking about Arizona. Did we finish Arizona? We did finish Arizona. OK, um, well, since we're. Uh, I, I don't know what your list is, but could we skip ahead to Wisconsin? Uh, because that, Absolutely. of course, for those of us on this radio station, what's going on in Wisconsin is near and dear to our hearts and um, causing no amount, no small amount of consternation. Tell me what you see there. Uh, what I see in Wisconsin is uh, is a series of, of, of terrible maps, both congressionally and at state legislative level for Democrats to try and run on, um, even though Wisconsin is is a swing state. It's usually statewide races tend to be won and lost by just a few points on either side. So the fact that Democrats have such a tiny minority in the legislature is straight up just because of the nature of those district maps, because of GOP gerrymandering. And, uh, and Republicans who are faced with a very, very real possibility of another four years of a Democratic governor um, are are dying to be able to overturn his vetoes. He is he is the one real power holder in the state who is a Democrat. Uh, Republicans who run the legislature are also incredibly powerful, and they would love nothing more than to just be able to disregard whatever their governor says because they don't agree with him. So they need they are trying to to. Um, create veto-proof majorities in the legislature. I don't think they're going to get there, but um, it is something for everyone to keep an eye on, for sure. And um, and and I, we can't talk about Wisconsin without talking about the U.S. Senate race. Like, Mandela Barnes is, is wonderful, and I really, really hope he gets to be a member of the U.S. Senate. He would just be such, such a great addition to that chamber. I think he would, too. And I can't believe the very unsubtle racist ads that Ron Johnson has been has been putting out, you know, Mandela Barnes, he's different. Mandela Barnes, he's not one of us. I mean, good God, it's it's just unbelievable. And and I don't know, I'm surprised Ron Johnson is currently doing as well as he is, because I think he is a reprehensible human being. 
and he's crazy. He's a twofer. Yeah, yeah, he's the whole he's the whole terrible package. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah, it's, no, he's it's, a terrible it's, candidate, it's, and yet. Yeah, it makes me sad that it's as close as it is, because I don't like what that says about Wisconsin. There are a lot of things at play. Um, As I said, like these, these are these are all going to be close elections. Who wins or loses in this race is going to be just a matter of just you know could even be less than a percentage point. You never, you never know. It's going to be close one way or another, and um, it's it's about it comes down to turnout it comes down to um you know campaign quality it comes down to funding um not as much money was rolling into this race as say um the senate race in pennsylvania previously um that has changed in recent weeks and late money is better than no money but um and i i feel like i I say this a lot especially with regard to state legislative races but it applies at every level of the ballot like Late money is, is, is good. Early money is worth 80 times more. Like, there's a group that dropped $20 million in state legislative races, like, last week. And I'm just like, that's cool. Where was this in July? Come on. So uh, are you saying that, because I've always thought that a lot of voters don't make up their minds till the last minute. And so those last minute ad buys, um, I thought they had outsized influence. You think... It's actually more beneficial to a candidate to have um, that kind of a war chest starting off on the race rather than finishing up with one. You can't have both. These these late ads are definitely important. They definitely do sway voters. But TV advertising is is becoming more and more of of a bit of a dinosaur. More people cut the cord. More people have streaming services. And so... One way that this, that late money can be really useful is spending on digital things, um, digital advertising. Even though platforms like Facebook and Google are are deploying uh, very um, uh, stringent uh, restrictions when it comes to uh, political advertising on their platforms in the late days of the election, but uh, digital advertising is a is a great way to invest late money. But a better way to invest the same sum of money would be say in July, where you can start hiring organizers to go out and start talking to people. You can start laying the groundwork for this, this late stage of the campaign, where if you started talking to voters back in July, more of those folks are going to volunteer for you in the last weeks of the election. More of those folks mm-hmm. won't need another touch. You can spend those those field resources on other voters and other areas. Uh, so Smart money is invested early in most things, including politics. But again, that's not to say that late money isn't useful. It is. But in a lot of cases, it's more useful much earlier in the cycle. I'm speaking with Carolyn Fiddler. She's with the Courier Newsrooms. We are going to take a break and we're going to be back right after this. Joan Esposito, live, local and progressive on WCPT 820. I'm chatting with Carolyn Fiddler, who works with the Courier Newsrooms. She has been looking at what is going on in the states. Um, there are interesting races that are going to be on their ballots, and the people are going to be voting on 15 days from now. Hopefully, some of them will be voting early. Some of them have mail-in ballots. But 15 days from now, it's all going to wrap up. We've talked about Michigan, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona, Wisconsin. What else should we talk about, Carolyn? What other states should we should we spend some time on? 
Well, I would throw just two more on the list of opportunities for Democrats to flip uh, majority chamber control this year. And that would be Minnesota State Senate. Democrats have control of that state house. If we can keep the governorship and flip the Senate, Democrats will have a trifecta uh, in Minnesota state government, uh, which wouldn't suck. And then New Hampshire House and Senate. Um, they're going to almost certainly going to have a Republican governor again. Uh, so it would be awfully nice to be able to uh, counter some of Sununu's worst impulses with a Democratic House and or Senate in that state. And that's absolutely in the cards. The New Hampshire House is weird, though, and with apologies to anyone who lives in New Hampshire. But I think even they would have to agree 400 seats in your state house when your state is that small is kind of bonkers. <laughs> They have a well, massive, pretty much everybody who lives house. in the state is in the house, right? It's every it single kind of New Hampshire. Like yeah. Like what, I, I'm dying for someone to do a survey in New Hampshire and f- just to find out how many residents at some point, like what percentage were a member of the state legislature. <laughs> it was probably a lot of them. Yeah, in, uh, so, in New uh, Hampshire, wouldn't they need not only a Democratic majority, but a Democratic supermajority? Because otherwise the Republican governor can just veto everything. Uh, he can. And getting a Democratic supermajority there is uh, a, a, a much taller order, frankly, especially in the state Senate. But um, still, Sunino is one of the and, you know, i say this with reservations because he's I, I wouldn't call him a good guy or someone I would agree with on pretty much anything, but he is less extreme than a lot of, of Republicans have become in recent years. So uh, there is there is the chance that he might find opportunity to work with a Democratic controlled legislature to achieve actual wins, uh, not just for the state, but just to make himself look good. <laughs> so <laughs> You know, I've been reading the last uh, several days about Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney. Uh, There are some Republicans they are campaigning for and also some Democrats that at least Adam Kinzinger has said that he is going to campaign for. If you're a Democrat uh, running, do you want Adam Kinzinger to campaign for you? Is I'm you know, I'm, I'm a little conflicted about that. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I, w- I, I also I share that uh, <laughs> that sort of ambiguity about it. Um, I think it all depends on where. Uh, mm-hmm. For instance, uh, in Virginia, uh, a former Republican, a former member of Congress, uh, this guy named Denver Riggleman, is now has endorsed and is doing campaign ads for uh, Abigail Spanberger, who is running in a very swingy uh, district uh, in the Commonwealth. And uh, so and it's definitely helping in her race, just given the nature of the district um, and the nature of that campaign so far. In some places, it's not going to make sense. Um, and I, I like to think that any campaign manager is going to be smart enough to have a sense of whether it's going to help or hurt. Um, but showing folks that, hey, the, you know, this this Democrat running sees a glass half full. Uh, this Republican who's endorsing him, I says the glass is half empty, but at least they both agree there's water in the glass because a Republican running against this person thinks that it's a dragon. And mm. that's just that's <laughs> we're living in a place where a lot of Republicans are acting as though they're divorced from reality. And yet and some great. of those very same candidates are doing better than than you, you could expect. And maybe it's just on the maybe it 
even if you're not a, a mega follower, maybe on some people's part, it's just a lack of spending time to learn about things. My partner was telling me about an interview he saw where somebody, I, I don't know what outlet, whether it was NPR, CNN, what some political reporter was interviewing a young voter. And I assume by, well, by young, we're talking a 20 something or early thirties. And they said, you know, what do you, do you think you're going to vote Republican or Democrat? And they were like, Oh, I think I'm going to vote Republican. And they were like, why? And they were like, well, because the Republicans do such a great job with the economy and we really need the economy to be better. And I'm thinking to myself, do you read, you know, do you read anything other than Reddit? Um, I mean, the fact that we lost jobs under Trump and um, yes, we ha- we certainly have inflation, but it's a global phenomenon. And frankly, in the United States, we're doing a lot better than the rest of the world with it. And I just thought, you know, we- Joe Biden has added jobs. Um, the economy is booming. And this guy's like, yeah, let's bring back those Republicans because, you know, those w- tax cuts for the one percent. Man, they were a good thing. And uh, sometimes I just despair of the electorate. No, that's 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 understandable. Um, but most of the electorate just doesn't invest the time in reading about these things, and we do uh, that. We do. Um, they are just normal people. I feel like folks like you and me, uh, while being awesome, are not sort of your typical American. Our, we are government you- geeks. That's the phrase. That is <laughs> yeah, the official but- phrase. Government geek. For sure. Yeah, we, we consume news and information at a, at a volume that most Americans would find just baffling, frankly. And Republicans have historically uh, done a really effective job of messaging themselves as good on the economy. And while they have less evidence for that in recent years, the, that old sort of image is taking a while to die. Um, and and frankly, Democrats aren't as aggressive uh, about their messaging on this as they could be. They aren't talking as much about the economy. And uh, because I, I think a lot of them are a little scared of it because there are while it's, it is doing well, especially relative to the rest of the world, folks are still hurting. They're feeling pain from gas prices. They're feeling uh, pain from, you know, things not feeling normal since, you know, since the pandemic began. Um, and that makes people scared. That makes people anxious. And uh, that is a, those are really motivating things when it comes to getting folks to the ballot box. And I think fear of that uh, is what has kept uh, Democrats from messaging very aggressively around the economy. I like to think that will change in the near future. Um, but <laughs> 2024 is a political eternity away. So Yeah, it really is. Um, I've also... And I don't think this is true. I've also been reading, oh, well, you know, uh, we thought that there was going to be this big tsunami of women voters who were just so mad about losing their rights to make their own decisions about their body. But, we, you know, that was a couple of months ago. That's kind of like water under the bridge. We don't really think that's going to have much effect. And yet I read all these things about in many states, the new voter registrations are highest among women in many states. In early voting, the most ballots being returned are ballots being filled out by women. 
I they you know, they may not be banging pots and pans, but I think the fall of Roe v. Wade is still going to have a huge impact on the midterms. What do you think? I think you're completely right. And I think this attempt to paint the issue of abortion and reproductive freedom as water under the bridge, things that people suddenly stopped caring about because a little time had passed. That is garbage. That is that is Republican propaganda. They are desperate to change the conversation away from the fact that half the population lost a fundamental right to bodily autonomy when Dobbs decision came down. Uh, and they, they've been trying to change the subject ever since. And it's it's up to it's up to the media. It's up to everyone out there to not let them succeed, uh, because the truth is this is still a very motivating uh, factor in this election. And I mean, we'll see we'll see how motivating pretty soon. But it is definitely very much uh, tipping the scales in, in, in races all across the country. Well, I think the courier newsrooms across the country are doing a bang up job of being bringing people the truth and um, and frankly, I think that we should be less re- reliant on the mainstream media. I've been getting really kind of uncomfortable with the New York Times. Uh, they, you know, like, oh, economy best in 30 years. But will people stop eating sandwiches in the street? I mean, it, there's it's never just one story, you know, best job numbers ever. But can Biden keep it going? And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I don't remember headlines being like that. I mean, the story used to be the story. And yet everything seems to be qualified. And the New York Times, some people who work there have told me that it's not that they're trying to be right leaning. It's just that they've gotten so much grief behind the scenes from Republican lawmakers that they are literally afraid and bending over backwards not to seem pro-democratic. But, you know, I mean, I think the local news this, that Courier Newsroom specialize in, um, that's, that's where you're going to find what's really going on where you live in a clear, understandable way without, you know, anybody worrying about whether or not the Republican Party is going to like them going forward. I really think you guys are doing a great job, Carolyn. Well, thank you so much. I I am also super proud of the work that we do here at Courier. Local news is incredibly important, and it's the the news that more most people are still willing to trust and that's why we we prioritize we don't we don't parachute in like coverage out of DC we have folks on the ground in all of these states covering these things in all of these states and it's really important stuff and also we don't believe in paywalls cuz that's garbage no one no one has time or money to deal with paywalls when they're trying to get their news uh speaking of mm-hmm. knocks on the New York Times like we want to make good information as readily available as possible to as many people as possible and I feel like more more news organizations should prioritize that. Yeah. I mean, you know, the Washington Post kept bragging about how, well, you know, nothing we report about COVID is going to be behind a paywall because it's so important. So are you saying the rest of what you do is less important to people right. to be able to know? I mean, I'm a great believer in subscriber. I have more subscribe subscriptions than any 10 people, you know, Carolyn, <laughs> I, I and I believe in supporting that, too. But you reach a point where, you know, most people aren't going to have 10 subscriptions. You know, maybe they're going to have one. But they need to know. 
They do. They do. Yeah. And again, you and I aren't, aren't your typical sort of news consumer, not your typical voter. Um, and yeah, it, it would be a really cool thing if more news organizations prioritized getting the information out there in an effective, meaningful way, as opposed to, I mean, I understand these folks have to make livings and pay their reporters. That's all very important. But uh, it feels like we need to figure out a way to uh, to make that work yeah. in a way that doesn't uh, create this, this, this gating effect for exactly. information. People need the information, and um, it can't be, it, you know, there's the good information has to be as accessible as the bad information. And it seems like the bad information is really free and out there all the time. Uh, Carolyn, I, I love our conversations. Um, maybe we should book something for after the election and we can sit back and look at what went right and what went wrong. <laughs> That sounds amazing. And, you know, if we need a drink during while we're doing it, that's fine. If we need to celebrate while we're doing it, also good. But, yes, I look forward to that. Very I'm much. a big believer that wine and radio go hand in hand, Carolyn. Um, Carolyn Fiddler is, is with the Courier Newsrooms. She and I will be having a cocktail sometime after the election. You'll want to be here for that. Thanks for listening. Patty Vasquez is up next. I will see you tomorrow from Kinkakee. Have a great evening. Good night.